Ecclesiastes chapter 6. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many lives so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and it goes in darkness. And in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything. Yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good. Do not all go to the one place. All the toil of man is for his mouth. Yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows, who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Whatever has come to be has already been named. And it is known what man is and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity and what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life which he passes like shadow? For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? Grass withers, flower fades, and word of our God stands forever. This is now our fourth week in the book of Ecclesiastes, and we've covered some pretty heavy stuff in the first three chapters, we've, we've essentially gone through the first three chapters looking at all of their content, but now as we look forward into the rest of the book, so we've gone through a lot of heavy stuff, and so now we're going to move on a little quicker into some of the other issues of the book, and what are we going to find ourselves in the rest of Ecclesiastes? Well, more of the same. Uh, lots of times you read in a New Testament epistle, there's maybe a lot of hard stuff up front, a lot of theology, a lot of uh, grounding of, of who God is and who Christ is and what's been done. And, and maybe lots of bad news about man's sinful state and how they stand. God is in his wrath, has enmity towards mankind. And, and then you get to the gospel, the good news of what Christ has done, and you move on into lots of practical application. Well, the book of Ecclesiastes is not laid out with that. It's not laid out with problems at the front that are then answered at the back. It's just problems all the way through. <laughs> Ecclesiastes is just the, the, the writer Solomon uh, takes uh, the vanity of life, the meaninglessness of life under the sun, the difficulty of life, all of these problems, and he looks real hard at them. And then he gets a little ways, he, he kind of looks at it all that he can from one angle, and then he just turns it over and just starts talking about it all again. And there's, he just kind of keeps repeating the themes of the vanity of, of the pursuit of wealth, the vanity of the pursuit of joy, the vanity of pursuit of all sorts of things under the sun. 
Remember those, the first week we talked about the importance of those two terms, vanity, meaning meaninglessness or, or breath or vapor. Like the idea is like smoke. Life is vanity. It means it's, it's something you try to grab a hold of. You can see it and it's there, but when you try to grab a hold of it, when you try to, to make it be something, make it do you, it just kind of disappears through your hands, like grabbing handfuls of sand. You squeeze it and squeeze it, and then eventually you're just empty. There's nothing there. That's the idea of vanity. But then there also is the important reality of life under the sun. If there is no transcendent being, if there is no God in charge of all of this, if all we have is life under the sun, then truly life is meaningless because of, of the, the judgment that comes to the righteous, the, the wickedness that comes to the righteous, and the, the good things that come to the wicked. And we see all this confusion across the board. And so Ecclesiastes is just going to keep turning those problems and keep looking at them and keep looking at them and keep looking at it. And it never really gets, there's, there's a few answers in there, but it, it isn't, It isn't the way we would necessarily like it to be arranged. It's not nice and tidy. Ecclesiastes is just constantly washing away and and hitting you again and again and again, washing away this false notion of, of finding satisfaction in the things of the earth apart from God and their connection with Him. So this week I want us to see, we're going to, in the next three weeks, I think, get through the rest of the book. And so we're going to jump around and not work verse by verse through the rest of the book. But this morning, I want us to see the wisdom of enjoying God as his creatures in his world under his care. Wisdom is enjoying God as his creatures in his world under his care. We are creatures, the, the, the tagline of this sermon series of Ecclesiastes is embracing life as creatures, not as the sovereign ones. We are not the ones in charge of the world. We are not the masters of our universe or of our domain. God is, and we simply find ourselves in his world. And, and that's one of the themes Ecclesiastes is getting at. This reality of we find ourselves just creatures in God's world. And so the wisdom is enjoying God as his creatures in his world under his care. There's a very popular, but I think hopeless pursuit of joy in the things of this life as an end in themselves. Seeking joy, fun, happiness in the things of this life as an end in themselves. It's a common mantra or mantra in our culture today to enjoy life. Have fun. Make life fun. Go out there and and enjoy whatever you're doing. Make sure you have fun doing it, right? If you're going to, there's, what is this this silly statement about if, uh, if you can turn what you love, if you can get paid for doing what you love, then you never have to work a day in your life, right? And so you're just supposed to expend all this energy finding something that you love. And life is about just enjoying the days that you have here. Go out and have fun. We encourage our kids in sports, go out there and have fun. And we make life about enjoyment of the things in this world on their own, apart from any relationship to God. But at some level, if we embrace that idea, 
if we embrace the idea that the meaning of life is just to have fun while we're out doing it, don't we have to admit at some point that's going to hit major problems? Because not everything that we come up to in this life can be fun, right? It, it, one of the main contemplations of the book Ecclesiastes is to consider your death. Ecclesiastes is constantly bringing up, remember, you will die. Remember, you will die. Memento mori, that Latin term. To, you ever see those pictures that they have with the philosophers or the scholars sitting down at his desk and he's got his books out and there's a skull on his desk? And you always think, well, that's a creep. That's a weird guy. Why does he have a skull on his desk? Well, the, the, they would throw that into paintings. It was a memento mori. It was a, it was a reflection to, to say to themselves, to always be thinking about this reality. One day, you will die. The, um, I, I, my reading this week, uh, I ran across a story of, the, of a certain group of monks that when, they would, when a monk would die, they would go and they would bury him and, and have the service. And then immediately they would start digging the next grave. And they would, they would just all get their shovels out and they would dig. And right next to the last monk they laid in the ground, they would dig an empty hole. And that wasn't just because they were trying to be economical since we're out here and we'll have to do it next time. The, the, the graveyard was right there in, in the, the monastery where they were all gathered. They lived among this open grave. And the point was that every day as they go by, they would think about the reality. Here's an open grave and I might be the next one in this one. This one might be mine. Someone's got to go next. It might be me. And they live the very much a reality of, you're going to die one day. Well, I would like for our American culture to take into that monastery, have fun, <laughs> when you're living in the presence of your own grave. Sooner or later, someone will fill that hole, and it very well may be you. Be sure to have fun. It's, it's a very light and, and just empty slogan. If, in order to have having fun or enjoying life and its, and its uh, very physical self apart from God, to, to have that mindset is to be ignorant of the realities of life, either willfully ignorant or just truly ignorant. Either that person saying these things or this mindset that we try to put onto ourselves, either they have never been through any incredible difficulty or they are intentionally and willfully blinding themselves to the harshness of life. The harshness, the difficulty, the darkness of life. The question becomes not just, well, why should I go out and have fun? But how in the world can that hold up? How in the world can that hold up? For instance, in something awful we just a few weeks ago uh, were involved in a funeral burying a 20-year-old kid. Well, how am I supposed to take to the parents and, and come to them with the admonition? Now, make sure in the midst of this, you're having a good time. That's lunacy, is it not? That, that mantra to make sure that in every moment you have a good time, that flies out the window when you're really confronted with the harsh realities of life. When you go to the doctor and you get a serious diagnosis or they, they, put, a, they put, you know, you got a certain time limit on your life. What good at that moment as you're driving home is the admonition to have fun? Three years ago yesterday, I was driving home with my wife. We'd gone up, 37-year-old uh, uh, people had gone to Des Moines free from our kids. We should have been having the most fun of our life. It's a wonderful outing, right? Well, we'd come home from a, 
from a scope or she'd been diagnosed with cancer that needs to get operated on immediately. You will, your surgeon will be calling you either tonight or tomorrow and you're going to need to come back and get a date to get this thing taken care of. Have fun. <laughs> no, that, that, is that, that, isn't that ridiculous? But I want just that that is a, this, this desire that we've got to make sure that in the things of this life, enjoyment, enjoyment, enjoyment in the things here, how empty and weak that ends up being. And Solomon knows this. Fun has a shelf life. And those pursuing it end their pursuit in vanity, in meaninglessness. Look back at Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I hope you still have your Bible out. Just back a few pages. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 10. Whatever my eyes desired... I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was the reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity, striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun." He gives himself to the pursuit of finding pleasure in everything and realizes at the end there's nothing really gained by it. He goes out and he has the most fun anyone could ever dream of ever creating for themselves. And he ends up saying, well, that was pointless. That really did not last. Earlier in chapter 2, verse 3, he says, I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart's still guiding me with wisdom. He's not going into insanity here or folly. This is, he's trying to, with wisdom, see, is wine the way? So drunkenness, I search with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart's still guiding me with wisdom. How to lay hold on folly that I might still see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. He admits that he sought to be cheerful and find this cheerful oblivion, this joy, this fun. And he's not able to produce it. So what's he going to do? Well, maybe I go out and if I can get drunk enough, if I can liberate myself from the harsh realities of life, maybe then I'll find this joy, this pleasure that life is about. Maybe if I can drink myself into oblivion, I'll forget how hard life really is. Maybe I'll forget that the people that I've surrounded me with, surrounded myself with, don't really like me. Maybe I can forget that, uh, uh, that I'm disliked by those I love. That I, maybe I can forget how much I dislike myself. If I can just go drink myself into oblivion, I'll forget those things and be able to find the goal of life. Just be happy for a little bit. Just to find some fun. But eventually he wakes up with a headache, a hangover, and even greater disappointment. His fun that he found temporarily didn't last. He could just go for a repeat, but why? And Ecclesiastes is, is this genre of literature of wisdom, right? We're supposed to be reading it and gaining wisdom. Not gaining like a, you would go, we're going to go to a, take a multiple choice question answer test at the end of this all. And we know now here's question one, it has answer A. Here's question two, it has answer B. Wisdom is more, is not that what laid out that way. It's not the answer key to a multiple choice questionnaire, but wisdom is a mindset. It's a way, it's a new way of seeing the world to help you navigate the myriad different ways that it comes to us. Wisdom is, is helping shape the way you see the world. Not just getting a right answer on a quiz, but how am I really supposed to see this thing? 
Well, what does wisdom have to say about our joy? Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 14, jump back to chapter 7, verse 14 says, say this, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. God has made both days for joy and days for sober consideration. The reality, this reality encourages us to live wisely when it comes to our pursuit of joy. Back in chapter 6 that we just read when we opened up. What are we to do with this reality of life? This, this, this frustration, having so much. He has a, a man God gives wealth, possessions, honor. He lacks nothing of all that he desires Yet he does not, God does not give him the power to enjoy them. He's got this abundant wealth, all of these things he's dreamed for, and yet he doesn't find himself enjoying it. And I think that if you can be honest, if we're honest about the reality of the pursuits we've made in this life, these moments when we think, when I get this, that, and the other, when I achieve this pinnacle, when I get to this vacation, or when I get this amount of money, or when this person, when I, when I find this person that loves me, or when I, when I get this job, or I have this thing built up, when we get it, we find that wealth, we get that possession, we get that prosperity, and we get there and we realize... I'm still just me. There's still this tinge of dissatisfaction. How can we have so much prosperity and convenience and yet be such dissatisfied people? Solomon says that it's better to never even be born than to be the one who is exposed to all that should bring them joy because they're just going to find out it doesn't really bring them joy in the end. Chasing and chasing and chasing after fun, after joy, and then getting a taste of it and realizing that isn't it. That isn't it. It just disappears. And then you die. <laughs> That's what Ecclesiastes is just, it, it, it is a crushing book. It is a crushing book. So how do you respond to this harshness? Chasing, chasing, chasing. Something that's going to fulfill me. Something's going to make me happy in this life. And then I find it and it dissatisfies and dissatisfies me. So I chase something else and it dissatisfies me when I find it. And then I die. How do we respond to this harsh reality? Well, we can go further into escapism. We can pretend. We can, we can think maybe I'm the exception. Okay, I guessed wrong that time. It wasn't vacation at the boardwalk. Maybe it's vacation at the boardwalk and the animal kingdom and then finished off with a cruise. Maybe that's where it's at, right? And so then you say, I mean, I, I'm just saying I've heard from people. <laughs> well, no point, no fingers uh, back in myself. But, it, you know, you, we build up, this, maybe then, maybe at this moment, we, we convince ourselves maybe it's the next thing. And we keep just willfully blinding ourselves to this evident reality that Solomon is bringing up for us, right of Ecclesiastes. You're going to run and chase and chase and chase and chase, possibly, possibly achieve, possibly not. But even then, if you do achieve, still find that it's nothing. We tell ourselves the next trip will be the one that we enjoy. If we can just get back on vacation or the next outfit that we purchase or the next car, the next milestone in our savings, maybe the next relationship or the next this or the next that, maybe, maybe this moment, on and on and on and on. And we can, that's a route we can go. Solomon has taken it in his wisdom. 
Pursue something else. Just down. Maybe maybe it's drunkenness. Maybe it's women. Maybe it's uh, maybe it's money. Maybe it's houses. Maybe it's whatever. All these pleasures he builds up for himself. It's not there. We can go that way. But Ecclesiastes is one of the points of Ecclesiastes is to try to convince you don't go that way. It isn't there. Solomon had more money you'll ever dream of having. He chased it and he didn't find it. Don't go that way. The other, other avenue is stoicism, dark like pessimism, dark stoicism. Maybe we take up the motto that if you never expect anything, then you can't be disappointed. So instead of being uh, trying to convince myself I can find it, I'm just going to become so pessimistic and so dark and bitter about this world that I'm just never going to look for anything and then I'll always be satisfied because I didn't expect anything anyway. And we all know people like that, right? That just get so dark and the Ecclesiastes can drive you that way. <laughs> You know what? It isn't anywhere. Forget it. Nothing is to be enjoyed. And now, now I'm always satisfied because I got exactly what I expected, which was nothing. Well, that's an avenue. I, I hope, I pray you don't take that one. Just expect to live a joyless, meaningless existence and you'll never be disappointed because you'll get what you wanted. I hope that we don't take either one of those options. The other option is the wise one is enjoying, is, is creaturely acceptance. The wisdom is one of creaturely acceptance with what our Creator brings our way. When it is time for enjoyment, we enjoy those times. When it's time for sobriety and sober consideration, we stop and consider. But both of these reactions are done with this intentional mindset focused on the Creator as, and in our place as His creatures. This is important because if, if we don't keep the things God gives us to enjoy in their proper place, if we don't keep the things God gives us to enjoy in their proper place, they will disappoint us and potentially damn us. If we don't, don't, don't fall asleep at this point. Wake back, I just used the word damn, okay? So we want, we want to listen at this point. The things, if, if we don't keep the things God has given us to enjoy in their proper place, they will always disappoint us and possibly damn us. Most importantly, seeking your joy in the things of this world will lead to damnation, will lead to eternal punishment. This is what Paul is speaking about in Romans chapter 1. We read it several times together, but he talks about this wrath of God against this people who are seeking their joy. They exchange the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is to be forever praised. They worship the creature and not the creator. And when you exchange the creator, joy in the creator as his creatures, when you exchange and say, no, I don't want that, I'm going to find my joy in the creation that you have made, you are welcoming to yourself the wrath of God for spurning. It's, it's idolatry. You have at that moment broken the very first commandment to have no other gods before me. You have said, God, you're not God. You're not going to satisfy me. This thing of this world, it is what's going to satisfy me. When we take things that God has made, even, here's the, here's the tough part, even good things God has made. When we take even good things God has made and we turn them into ultimate things, we are committing idolatry. There are many good things we can do this with. Family. It's a good thing. God has made family. Male and female. Puts them together. 
husband leaves his father and mother and the two become one flesh and they create a family. This is a good God-given blessing. Doesn't happen for everyone. There's, there's other blessings, but there, that is a real blessing of God. Family, it's a good thing. But when we take that good thing God has made and we make it the ultimate thing, we are committing idolatry. We are committing idolatry. We do this with work, other creative pursuits. We do this with sport. We do this with learning. If I could just be educated, we take these good things. We do this with nature, this beauty that God has created for us to enjoy. It's a good thing, but when we make it the ultimate thing, apart from God, we are committing idolatry. And when you do this, you are breaking the first commandment. And if you persist, And that spurning of the creator and and worship of the creation, the creature, it does lead to the judgment of God. God is a holy, a jealous, a righteous God who will punish those who turn from him. So if you run this way, if we don't keep the things God gives us to enjoy in their proper place, they will disappoint us and one day damn us. But secondly, they will disappoint us. I mean, not only will they damn us if we keep down that path, but let's say, okay, you know, we're just, we're not, we're not there, but our hearts are still divided and pulled all these different directions. It's going to disappoint you. When you don't keep the things God gives you to enjoy in their proper place, they will disappoint you. We are trying to make the things of this world carry a weight they were never meant to carry. We're trying to make the things of this world carry a weight they were never meant to carry. It's like, um, you know, it's getting, hopefully fall is going to come at some point. It's going to stop being 90. It's going to cool down a little bit. The leaves are going to fall. I'm going to need a rake. And so I go to my kids, I go to my, my back garage, and I get the little pail, the little plastic pail, and the little sandbox set because it's got a rake in it. And I go out and start raking my yard with a, with a plastic kid's t- sandbox rake. Is that going to go? I'm, you know, how am I, how's that going to end up? With no leaves removed, with me blistered hands and sore knees because I got to get on the ground. I'm, I'm, I'm using something that was not made for that in a way that was not meant to be used. It is taking things that were not meant to carry the weight of raking the yard and trying to invest all of it into that. It's like scissors are an amazing tool. I used scissors this morning. We had a tag in the back of our dress. It was itchy. And so I had to cut the scissors out. I had to cut the tag out of the back of the dress. Some of you may have been there before. You know what I'm talking about. I haven't, but tags out of shirts have to cut out sometimes. But so I I had the scissors are an amazing tool, but I'm not going to go out in my yard and with scissors and start cutting the yard. That's trying to take something God has made that's good, but, but put a weight on it. It's not meant to carry. And when you do that, you end up with blisters, disappointed. You end up frustrated. You're putting too much weight into things that they were never meant to carry. And one of the reasons why that does disappoint, it is the grace of God. It is the grace of God that when we invest all of our energy into some certain romantic or worldly thing, this is, this is where all of my joy is going to be found. It is the grace of God that when we get it or some taste of it and it disappoints us it is God's mercy that we would be disappointed so that we would see it isn't here it's got to be somewhere else and Ecclesiastes is just the revealing of that frustration so is there then any joy to be found and if there is where is it to be found it is not to be found in the creation naked on its own 
It is to be found in the Creator Himself. John 15, just a, a passage here to close. John chapter 15, very famous passage. I'm sure you've heard it before. Where is joy to be found? We're going to look at Starting in verse 5 of John chapter 15, this is Jesus speaking. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. There is a true joy that comes not by interaction with the creation on its own, but through our interaction with the creator himself. He says that for those who abide in him, his joy will be in them and their joy will be full. Where the writer of Ecclesiastes runs out of answers, Christ steps in and tells us where true peace and joy are found in him, in the creator. Wisdom is enjoying God, the creator, enjoying God, the creator, as his creatures in his world under his care. Not through that, that, that damnation that we talked about that's coming our way because of our idolatry, that is taken away through faith in Christ. Not through our own righteousness, but through his, through his giving himself to us as a gift. When this happens, we are united to God through Christ in such a way that we are never to be removed. And the joy that is eternal peace is our through Jesus Christ. It is, not a, it is a joy that cannot be diminished or stolen by the things of this life. It's a joy that is found by abiding in Him, not visiting Him, not making a little space in the corner of your life for Him, but placing your life in him, abiding in him. When we are abiding in him, we are seeing Jesus as Lord, as Savior, and as our greatest joy, our treasure, not just our Savior. Thanks for saving me. Now I'm going to go off and do whatever. Our Savior, our treasure, our joy, our Lord. When we see him that way, then we know the one who was built to handle the weight of our expectations. When you put it in the things of this world, they're not meant to carry it. You end up disappointed. And if you continue to that road, you end up damned. But if you place your expectation in the one who was made to hold the weight of all of your joy, joy in him cannot be stolen. So what does this look like then on the ground? Okay. Well, back to that car ride home three years ago, right? Terrible diagnosis sickening surgery to follow in a couple of days. Any counsel to just have fun would have been foolish. But the words of joy found in Christ were absolutely critical. I have a, a God-fearing doctor friend who had moved away, but uh, I was calling, obviously talking to him about what's going on and see what his thoughts were. And 
after the surgery, I told him what had happened and all the stuff that gone on, and he just was honest with me. He says, I can't, I have no, I have no idea how this is going to turn out for you. I don't, I wish I could say, I don't know how this will turn out. But he says, he said to me, he says, no matter what happens or how this turns out, I know one thing for certain, it doesn't change his love for you at all. I don't know if this goes good. I don't know if this goes bad. But what I do know is that no matter what way it goes, it does not change his love for you at all. And you know what I found? I was in the bathroom at the top of Methodist Hospital, sixth floor, little, and they were, just, they were just getting refurbished. We were in an old one. I was in this little tiny little bathroom and tears of joy. Joy in the midst of this terrible diagnosis because of the reality, not what I was going to get in this life, but of what I had in Christ my Savior. Finding a joy. Wisdom is enjoying God as the creator and as his creatures in his world and under his care. There was joy in the midst of terror, in the midst of trial, not in the circumstances or the terror of this fallen life, but joy in union with Christ. And when we can see this, our true, when our true joy is found in knowing Christ and not the things of this world, it actually liberates us to enjoy the things of this world for what they are, gifts from the Creator. When we actually place the, the right amount of weight upon our joy in Christ, it makes our ability to enjoy our family, it liberates us to actually enjoy our family because we don't have all this pressure, my life has got to be found here. My life is found in Christ. My joy is in Christ. And so therefore, I can go and I can enjoy my family. And it can be messy and it can be hard. And, and I can enjoy the vacation and, and things can go wrong and whatever. And I can enjoy all of these things because I'm not pushing all the weight of expectation on them. It's like going to a, a Too Fast and Furious movie. Expecting to have this bunch of... I don't know what that movie is. It's a bad reference. It's, it's a silly race movie. It has no plot. They're just goofy. They're just action films. But if I go there thinking I'm going to have this existential, you know, life-changing movie experience, I'm going to walk out disappointed. But if you go in knowing what it is, that your joy is not found... If you, if you go in knowing what it is, you're able to actually enjoy it. In the same way, when you, when life, you see life for what it is, and your joy is not... Forced upon things that aren't meant to carry the weight of your joy. But your joy is in Christ. You're actually then able, liberated, liberated to enjoy life for what it is. When we live life seeing ourselves as creatures in our creator's world, then reality is like we find in Romans eleven thirty six makes sense. For from him, through him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. And so this reality, the union with Christ is what we celebrate tangibly in communion every Sunday. Come this morning, turning from all creaturely disappointing joys, turning from them. God, forgive me that I ever thought to pursue my joy in something besides you. I repent for my idolatry, turn from all creaturely disappointing joys and clinging to the one joy, union with Christ, union with God through Christ our Savior. Let's pray. Father, help us help us find our joy in you. My heart beat, God, is for unshakable joy in this congregation. We have 
seen too many things. We have been through too many trials. We have encountered too many sorrows to try to place our joy in any of these temporal, fading away things. Help us this morning, God, to turn from those vain pursuits to the giver, to our creator, to you, the one in whom true joy alone is found. We pray in Jesus' name.